All right. First John, would you find it in a copy of the text and stand with me, please? I want to thank you for allowing us to be a little bit disjointed. We kind of started our new series, Surrendered Fearless Free, and now we're, <laughs> we've gone back last week with Pastor Joe and this week with myself finishing up 1 John. I just didn't want to let that go unfinished. It's too good. Too good what John has to say at the end here of his letter to this group of churches, probably in Asia Minor in the first century. Now, as we look at um, 1 John 5, 18, 19, 20, and 21, I want you to think this morning of the last time you wrote a serious letter to someone, a serious letter, because this is, if you know anything about letters, this is a very serious letter. It's full of truth. Um, It's fraught with both encouragement and warning. Um, It's centered on Jesus Christ and the battle that we do and that they were doing back in that day with this one called our enemy, Satan, the devil, many, many names for him. And I want you to think when you've written a letter to someone that was very serious and when you got to the end of that letter, you realize, man, I'm written out. I've written what I can write. But you want to cap it off, right? You want to close it off. And you just, don't you find yourself saying, what are the three things that I just want to remind this person of at the end of the letter? What are the two things? What is the foundation of what I've written that I want them to take away with themselves from this letter? That's what John's doing in these last few verses. This this letter has been about fellowship with the person of Jesus Christ, intimate community and connection with this one named Jesus of Nazareth who says that he is life. And these final words of John are about how to hang on to what we know about that fellowship when the battle gets hot in the world. And so as he closes this letter, this is what he says. Three different times he says, we know, we know, we know. And then he closes with a command. Verse 18, we know that whoever is born of God does not sin. Some of your Bibles say does not continue to sin. Bad translation. It's a sissy translation. It's a translation that is trying to make sense of something that doesn't make sense. When you say whoever's born of God does not sin. Well, I sin. Does that mean I'm not born of God? We'll explain that in just a moment. But an accurate translation is whoever is born of God doesn't sin. But he who is born of God keeps himself. Some of your Bibles might have um, keeps him or guards him. I'll tell you in a moment why I think that the, the, uh, the reading himself is a better reading. For most of you, if you have him in your text, you'll have himself in the margin. If you have himself in the text, you'll have him in the margin. I'll explain why in just a moment. So we know that whoever is born of God does not sin, but he who has been born of God keeps or guards himself and the wicked one, another name for this arch enemy of Christ, does not touch him. We know that. And we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true and that we are in him who is true and in his son Jesus Christ, this one is the true God and eternal life. Finally, he says, verse 21, little children, keep yourselves from idols. What a way to close a letter. (laughs) Keep yourselves from idols, amen. You may be seated. Now, some mornings I feel compelled to tell you, you need to get your studying hat on, and this is one of those mornings. So you need a copy of the text. If you're a person that takes notes, get that outline out. I I don't want to rush through this. I want to give you what John is saying, and some of it is a little complex, but I I want to walk us through it, all right? The three we knows first, and the first we know is we know 
that the enemy cannot touch the real us. In the midst of spiritual battle, when we get to the point where the shells are flying all around, and some days you think to yourself, I don't know anything. I thought I knew some stuff, but I don't know Jack. I am so fraught with emotional baggage right now. The, the bullets are flying. The circumstances are intense. My relationships are a mess, whatever. My body's breaking down. I don't know what I know. John says, well, I can tell you one thing you can know. You can know that the enemy cannot even touch the real you. Now, let, let's break this down because this overarching we know is kind of broken down into three phrases. The first phrase is, we know that the one born of God does not sin. It doesn't, the present tense here does not necessarily mean, hey guys, we need to get together what we're doing over here. Are you here, Keith? Are you, Don, you need to go out the door? Is it locked? Okay. Our brother here is going to help you. All right. Love you, Don. All right, the one born of God is not sin. Um, the present tense here does not necessarily translate, does not continue to sin. Remember, we looked at this back at 1 John 3, 9. How many of you remember this when we talked about, yikes, that's disconcerting for a teacher. If none of you remember this, but go back to 1 John 3, 9. That's where he first says this. Whoever has been born of God does not sin for his seed, whose seed? God's seed remains in that one. And so, because some translators are going, wait a minute, the one born of God doesn't sin. Well, that can't be true because we all sin. In fact, in the first chapter of 1 John, it says, if you say that you have no sin, the truth is not in you. So what is he saying? What he's probably saying is this, is that each of us who believes in Jesus Christ, thus we're born of God, we're born anew of God, has this thing called the seed of God down inside of us. Paul calls it the new nature. It is... The new birth, it is, can I say it this way? It is Jesus Christ himself and the person of the Holy Spirit. The core of your nature and my nature, housed in this flesh that is not yet fully redeemed, is regenerate. It's born again. It's new. If you believe in Christ, the core of what's inside of us is is new. It's Christ himself. And so Paul says it like this. Okay. Would you all say that generally I'm a patient person? Would you say that I, I probably am? And I realize we've got a very... I mean, our community is, we've got all different kinds of folks. I know some of us are probably ADHD and some of us got soft behinds and these pews are really hard and some of us, you know, our bladders can't make it through a whole two hours and I get that. Do you know that I get that? All right, nod your head at me if you know that I get that. We're not, we're the last church that ever tries to put everybody in a box, correct? Because how can you do that? Everybody's different. But this I gotta say, it is difficult for my heart when I'm trying to teach the Word of God and there is chaos. Because this is what I know. This is life. If we don't get this, we're dead. We are dead in the water. I'm not trying to be too hard on us. And I... I feel like our teachers do a good job of being very tolerant with the fact that things do happen, don't they? I mean, things happen. People, heck, this last summer, um, one of our sisters, Yvonne, was it Yvonne? No, it was Dee. Dee fell right out. You know, he had a, um, a diabetic moment and fell right out. Things happen. But my brothers and sisters, we are grown people, most of us here today. We can control ourselves. And when we have that prayer break, if you think, I, I just need to get some air, do what you got to do. If you need to hit the restroom, that would be appropriate. When we come back here to, to study the Word of God, can you commit with me to doing the best you can to sitting there for 45 minutes? 45 minutes when the rest of the week we're getting bombarded with whatever? 
Can you, can you do it with me? Amen. Anybody here that wants to protest and say you're being way too hard on us, Pastor Butcher, this is the way church always is. You guys are always yelling at us. Anybody want to say that? Because I'm not feeling that at all. We, we need to take care of our business, my brothers and sisters. We need to, you know, if we're here, we need to be attentive to the word. So thank you. Thank you for listening to me for a hot second. All right. All right. Here we go. The one who uh, born of God does not sin. Our core, what this means is, our core nature is regenerate. That core nature, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives within me. That's what, that's what 1 John 5.18 is talking about. So while we as a whole person might sin, that new nature inside of us does not sin. When we act in accordance with who we really are, we do not sin. Let me say that again. When we believe in Jesus Christ and that new nature takes over inside of us, when we act in accordance with who we really are, we do not sin at all, ever. So whenever we do sin, all that means is that's not our true self. That's that false self, that flesh that lied to us or allowed the enemy to lie to us about you're this, not this. Because when we're acting out of our true nature, we don't sin. You got that? We know that, John says. Secondly, we know then that he who has born, been born of God, that would be us, keeps, or the word could be translated, guards himself. Now, how many of you have in your Bibles, instead of the translation himself, how many of you have the translation him? How many of your Bibles translate him, all right? Let me tell you why. <clears throat> You know we have about 5,000 ancient New Testament manuscripts. You know this. How many of you know this? We've got a whole bunch of manuscripts. The rest of you don't? Now you do, okay? All right? We don't have a copy of the original, but we've got 5,000, some of them whole manuscripts in the New Testament, some of them just pieces of the New Testament. The oldest fragment we have, frankly, is a piece of the Gospel of John, John 18, that dates back to about 125 A.D. It's a piece of that uh, interaction that Jesus had with Pilate. Now, some of the manuscripts in 1 John have the little pronoun him. The majority of the manuscripts have the pronoun himself. Now, you have to know that in the Greek language, the pronoun himself, let me transliterate this into English, is e a-U-T-O-N, auton. The pronoun him is A-U-T-O-N. The only thing that's absent is the E. So I'm thinking that back in the day, a couple of scribes that were sitting in some monastery in the 4th century or the 6th century sat there and went, the one who is born of God keeps himself, guards himself, what do you mean guards himself? We all know that God guards us. And so they sat there and said, hmm, maybe what John is saying is this. Whoever is born of God does not sin. That's talking about us, the true nature in us, the new nature doesn't sin. Then he says, but he who has been born of God, maybe there he's talking about Jesus Christ, the ultimate one who has been born of God. And he's the one that guards him. That would be us. And so they just took that little E, that little epsilon, erased it, and said probably the original copy or the original manuscript didn't get this right, and this explains the text better, so that's what they did. I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. Because the majority of the manuscripts have himself, I'm buying it that God could preserve his word through the majority, in fact, the vast majority of the manuscripts, and I think this is what he's saying. Now, he could have said... He could have said, and the one who was born of God, meaning Jesus, who is our ultimate uh, firstborn of God, keeps us, because it's true. Jesus Christ does guard us, right, Riley? I mean, that's a true statement. But I don't think he was trying to say that here. I think he was trying to give us a statement of our identity to carry out into spiritual battle. I think he was saying, our true self, which is Jesus Christ living in us. Remember, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. This new nature, when we act in accordance with our true self in the midst of spiritual battle, Jesus 
and we act as one. So when the enemy comes against us, literally, we and Jesus, the new nature, our true self, act as one. So literally, John could say, when you're out there and the enemy comes against you, you don't have to appeal to some entity out there who might come and rescue you. You can guard yourself. You can take care of your business because you and the new nature, Jesus Christ, are one. So literally, you can say to someone, when you say goodbye to them today, you can say, take care. There used to be a sister in this church. Every time I said to her, take care, she goes, I'm not hearing that from you. God's the one that takes care of me. We can't take care of ourselves. Well, you know what John says? We've got the new nature inside. So we're the one who was born of God. When we access that new nature, we don't sin. And Jesus and us are so intertwined in here, not out there, in here, so that when the enemy comes against us, we can stand up to him and say, you know what? I can take care of business because Jesus Christ is in me. He is mine and I am his and I can literally guard myself. The enemy always is trying to say, you ain't nothing. I think John's here saying, as I launch you into the world, know this, you are something because Jesus Christ lives inside you. The one born of God keeps him or her self. Anyone want to argue with my exegesis? I love a good fight over this, but <laughs> I can't be sure, but it makes sense, doesn't it? In fact, by the way, I'll just say this. When you have a variant reading Often, of course, you look at the majority of the manuscripts. Sometimes you look at the best manuscripts to see what you re which reading you want. You also look at the more difficult reading because people have a tendency to change a reading to make it easier so it's easier to understand. Another reason why I like to go with this is because it's a little bit more difficult, which means that probably John is trying to get us to some cookies on the higher shelf. Everybody knows in all passages of Scripture that God takes care of us. But I don't know anybody but John that says, you can take care of yourselves because Jesus Christ lives inside of you. He is fused with you. He is merged with you. In fact, he is you and you are him as you go out into the spiritual battle. Isn't that cool? So around here, take care of yourself is going to take on some new meaning after today. And then he gets to the ultimate we know. Thus, thus we know that the evil one cannot touch him. And the Greek word touch means touch. Thank you. You're learning Greek every week. Can't even touch us. Even if we screw up, even if we sin, we're scarred on the outside, our true, what's the theme of this verse? Our true regenerate self, the true us. I mean, the outside might look like it's been through the battle, but inside where the true us lives, he cannot, the enemy cannot touch you. Now, I got to say, I don't know if any of you else, others of you go this, go here. But this week, when the phrase came to my mind, you can't touch this. The only thing, that's all I could think about. <laughs> and I, I think, you know, MC Hammer is a brother in Christ. So I think if he was here today, he'd say, that's what I'm talking about. I've got to say that I listened to the words and I don't think that, <laughs> I, don't th <laughs> I don't think they're exactly, I don't think he was writing about 1 John. But still, he says over and over again, you can't touch this. So when you see MC Hammer doing his thing, just think of 1 John 5.18. And think of the fact that the new nature deep down inside of you, the enemy cannot even lay a bony, evil, sulfur-smelling finger upon the real you cannot 
touch you at all. Now look, I ain't making that up. That's in the text. These are John's final words. When you get out there, don't forget when the enemy lies to you and he says to you after you've had an especially hard day, look what you did, man. Look what you said. Look what you thought. I had a couple of those moments this week when especially in my thoughts, I was like, where did that thought of jealousy, where did that thought of envy Where did that thought of comparison, where did that come from? And do you ever have this where the enemy will say to me, I've got you. John is saying there's going to be moments like that. And when that happens, I want you to remember what you know. And I want you to look at the enemy and I want want you to tell him what you know like Glenda in the Wizard of Oz, who when the Wicked Witch of the West or the East or the North, I don't know who it was, but she came up and tried to get those shoes off of Dorothy. She said, be gone, you have no power here. When the enemy starts to whisper in your ear, look what you said, look what you thought. I've got you. You tell him what you know. I am one who is born of God. You can't touch this. You might be able to. What did Jesus say? Fear not those who are able to take the body, but do nothing to the soul. The true you. The body can die. It's going to be resurrected. Didn't we sing it this morning? I will rise. I will rise. Man, that's, that's the promise. Whatever happens to the body, we're going to rise again, resurrected, fused with our new nature. Now we've got the beginnings of that new person right inside of us. When the enemy is riding our case hard and ready to put us up wet, we can look back at him and say, you, I know this. You can't touch this. Yes, Dan. Yes. Yes, yes. What Dan is saying is, I think what I hear Dan saying is, my brothers and sisters, this is why the word of God is so important, by the way, because what does Psalm 119 says? He says, you take it into your heart, you hide it in there so that when we're out there in the battle that we might not sin against him because the Holy Spirit will bring this back to you. I'm telling you, he will, man. I'm telling you. You may not remember any textbook you ever read, but this is a supernatural thing. You, Im- you imbibe this. You take this in. The Holy Spirit, when the enemy's lying on you and saying, you ain't nothing, I got you. You know, you think God has you, but I got you. Look at me. Look at you. Look at, look at, look at you. The Holy Spirit will bring back to mind Remember who you are. Remember whose you are. You are mine. You're one born of God. I'm your father. You're my son. You're my little girl. And the enemy, I'm telling you, cannot touch the real you ever at all, forever. That's what we know. How would that change your response this week if when the enemy came, if you were able to say, I hear what you're saying. Let me tell you what I know. I hear what you're lying to me about. Let me tell you what I know. I am God's and you can't touch this. You, you be, I mean, I have this daughter who dances in the professional community out east. Modern dance. I can't dance a lick. That's why Chris was falling out over there when I did my little, I busted my little move. All right, number two. What do we know secondly? And this is kind of the big statement, that we are in a spiritual war with the powerful world system of God's enemy. We're in a spiritual war with the power. That's what we know. Every day we know this. 
Let's break it down. First phrase, he says, we know that we are of God. He's used that phrase, ek theu, of God, before in 1 John. You can look that up in your own concordances. It's, it's a phrase that implies intimate fellowship with. We're of him. We're about him. We're intimately connected with him. We're of him. I could say this morning, I'm of Carla. We're intimately connected in fellowship. My closest brothers and sisters in the world, I could say I'm of them. That's what John's saying. We're of God. Those of us who are born of God, we're of God. We're connected with him. I think here in this context, the phrase of God also has a connotation of being sent out from God. In this text that's talking a little bit about spiritual battle, it's implying two forces in opposition to one another. I think he's also saying, as those who are born of God, we're sent out from God as his agents. Now keep that thought in mind. Let's look at the second phrase. And the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Now, actually, in my New Testament, the part of this phrase, lies under the sway of, is italicized. Is that true in any of your Bibles? That usually means, if it's italicized, it means the translator's trying to give you a piece of what the Greek is saying so that we can understand it. It's not a bad translation, but let me tell you the more raw translation of this text. We are of God, the whole world lies up in the wicked one. I don't know about you, but that has a, that has a whole nother connotation. The one is like, yeah, he, he's kind of a wannabe king, and those who are not born of God, who don't believe in Jesus yet, they're kind of like under his sway. The other one connotes what it's intending to connote. We're up in, we're like fused with. If we don't believe in Jesus Christ, the fact is, however many good deeds we're doing, how, however a, much of a righteous persona we, 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 we put out, the fact is, if we're not a believer in Jesus, John says, there's no middle ground. There's no no man's land. You are either of God, born of God by faith in Jesus Christ, or you are up in the wicked one. Now, I think what John is giving to us here, see if you can handle this, see if you can get this with me. I think he's here talking to a, first we know is about our identity. Here, I think he's talking, now get this, world view. In other words, when we get up in the morning, how do we see the world? What lens, what are the categories through which we see the world and our journey? I think what John is trying to say is this. When you get up in the morning, don't forget what's really going on. The foundational reality. I'm not look, I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer. I'm trying to repeat to you what John says is the truth. When you get up in the morning, don't forget this. There's two kingdoms. That's it. You're either a part of one or you're part of the other, and they are perpetually at war. That's it. Do you remember the movie um, Life is Beautiful? How many of you remember that? I think it got an Academy Award back in the day, and there was a, a man who, with his son, got interred in a prison camp during World War II. I think it was a Jewish brother, if I'm not mistaken. No, he wasn't Jewish? Sorry? Married to a Jewish woman, but he got sent to the prison camp with his son. And what he tried to do with his son is to protect him from the evil realities of that prison camp by telling his son it was all a game. It was a remarkable display of the love of a father for a child to try to help his son weather the horrors of that evil place by reframing it 
and letting the son get up in the morning saying, Dad, what kind of, how's the game going to go today? It's kind of an intriguing story, isn't it? You, you wonder if you'd have the courage to do that. You would hope that you would be able to do that for your children or for your friends in that kind of a setting. John, listen, John is saying in this second we know exactly the opposite. He's saying, don't do that. He's saying, don't ever forget that whatever else is going on, could be a birthday party, that's great. Could be the Tigers winning the pennant, that's awesome. Could be your wedding day, fantastic, and it was. But don't ever forget that underneath any of the doings or the experiences, there is a deeper, more foundational reality. We know that there's two sides. We are of the God. We are of God and the other folks who don't yet believe. It's not that we're hating on them. It's not that we're against them. These are human beings. Without the grace of God, they are us. Without the grace that brought us to Christ, they are us. It's not about those humans. It's about the world system, the cosmos. There's only two sides. And every day, they are at perpetual war with one another. He says, don't ever forget. Don't ever forget. I think he's implying that if we forget, this is what's going to start to happen. If we start losing the fact that there are these two kingdoms, all of a sudden everything starts getting really mushy and muddied. And so all of a sudden, if I remember that there's two kingdoms, I, I, and if I remember, listen, if I remember today I am of God, then I realize that actually, though I love those who are in the world, I have nothing in common with the world. Nothing. But if I don't hang on to this reality, then all of a sudden, man, I'm just, I'm just going through and I'm just like, you, me, it's just one all big, you know, we are the world, we are the children. And John says, you are now in jeopardy because you've forgotten what's really going on. You and I have nothing in common with the cosmos. I'm talking about the value system. I'm not saying go to work tomorrow this is such a bad application of this text. I grew up in a Christian context like this. You go to work the next day and go, you're of the world. I can't talk to you at the coffee machine. That is, that is from hell. That person is a human being. God loves that human being. They're not the cosmos. They're a victim of the cosmos. I'm talking about the value system. The value system that says today, it's all about whether that stock market is happening. Today, it's all about whether my kid gets to the head of the class. Today, it's all about whether I get a raise. Today, it's all about, it ain't about none of that. Because all of that's going to fade. I'm not saying that it doesn't have some temporal importance. Of course it does. But underneath, even, way to go, son. You got straight A's. I think that's awesome. You know what you're trying to teach your son? That underneath that, don't ever forget that if these A's aren't used for this kingdom battle, then those A's that you just got on that report card have no value at all. Because the ultimate reality underneath all realities is that there's these two kingdoms and they're perpetual war with one another. Now, do you think it's fun for me to say this? I'd like to just say something else that's a lot more like, and then really what we have out there, it's just really a spiritual Disney world, and we just have to recognize it. We just have to see it. But John says, that just ain't true. Yeah, put on the full armor for a reason. I think what he also might say, don't ever forget with this underlying worldview of these two kingdoms perpetually at war, that your first call is soldiering. You've heard me say this before, and I don't know if it landed. Let me see if it'll land now. If you get a new job, and you've prayed for a new job, you know what we're going to do here? You've seen us do it. We're going to clap. 
we're going to be so excited because that's a distinct, wonderful answer to prayer. It's a way that he will help supply your daily bread and all of that. And so what happens is, let's say you get a job making widgets. Maybe you get a job servicing widgets. Maybe you get a job calling, getting on the phone, hearing people call up who are unhappy with the widgets that your company sold them. Maybe you're getting a job as a therapist for all of those who have been so screwed by all the widgets in the world that they need help psychologically. I don't know what your job is, this new job that you get. But don't ever forget that the ultimate thing is not the job itself. The ultimate, if you could be a nuclear physicist, but the ultimate thing is not the job itself. But first of all, the people who are in that job that are going to be the booty, if you will, the fodder, the spoil of this spiritual war, and that you are sent to that job first and foremost. You are of God. You are sent out to be an emissary of the true God and his kingdom to try to rescue them from the power of darkness. That's your first job, which isn't to the exclusion of you doing a good job making the widget, selling the widget, because that too is a part of your spiritual call to serve your boss as you would serve the Lord Christ, which also reflects the kingdom of God. But do you understand, when you go to work, You don't just say, I got to go to work another day, and I hope I can make it through. No! When you get up in the morning, you recognize this is the reason I'm going to work because I am sent out from my king to be an emissary of his kingdom, to love, to have joy, to have peace, to have long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, patience, that whatever comes my way, I represent the king of kings and the Lord of lords in this spiritual battle. If not me, who? If not now, when? My job is not to go out and make money. My job is not to go out and get famous. My job is not to go out and get ahead. I hope you have a lot of fun in your life. I do. I need more fun in my life. It's one of the reasons why I married a woman whose favorite word is fun. There's no question in my mind. I married her because when I heard my unconscious self, heard her keep going, that would be fun. Wouldn't that be fun? That'd be so fun. It's so fun. It's so fun being with you. There was something in my spirit. See, my favorite word has always been pain. I connect to the pain. I grew up in pain. So when this little painful 22-year-old captain of the football team, pain laden, even played football because it's about pain. I heard this girl talk about fun. I realized, man, I need some of that. I need her in my life. We've been such a tremendous balance for one another over the years as I have taught her about pain. <laughs> and she's taught me about fun. <laughs> that wasn't in the notes. Yeah, really. But can I say this to you? Can I say this to you? If in the balcony, all of us, my brothers and sisters, if you think today like your main thing in life is just to go out there and have it good, have some fun, you have, John would say, missed the boat. Because there's a war going on, man. It'd be like, one of the things I think is a problem in the church of Jesus is that we're doing life is beautiful. When John says, this is what we know, we know that we're in a perpetual spiritual war with this one called the evil one. You know what else I would think? Then I'm going to give you the last principle, the last we know. I also think John would say, if you get this foundational worldview, you will never be surprised at anything that comes your way. You know what came to me this week? That one of our problems is not the circumstances that come our way that are painful. If we talk today about what's your biggest problem, most of us would come up with some circumstance, wouldn't we? Some relationship, some way that somebody's jacking us around and messing us over. You know what John would say? I thought I told you. One thing we know, when we get up in the morning, we're at war. 
And so when a bomb explodes near you, you're surprised at what? I find that what many of us need to live more fully and completely and joyfully this life of Jesus is to get an attitude adjustment so that our worldview, our expectations are no longer, well, it ought to be good for me today because it's good for my friend Fred, it's good for my friend Sally, and I've worked hard, and you know, when you work hard, this is America, you ought to get some rewards, and you know what, I've put a lot into this thing, and this marriage, and I ought to, when you, when you stop with all that nonsense and realize what we know is, that it's a battle. And if there's ever a day when a mortar does not explode within three feet of us, we ought to say, what gives? Has there been a ceasefire? Because the expectation ought to be that life is going to be fairly intense, fairly tough, because the second thing John said we know is that we are in a battle until we go home. We get the first two. Number three, we know that we're in a relationship with the true God through his son, Jesus Christ, whom he has sent. I think John gives us this final we know because I think he realizes there's going to be moments in the spiritual battle when we go like this. Am I on the right side? Did I, did I miss something? Because it sure looks to me like the beachhead of my life is being stormed and I'm afraid I'm going down. Did I miss something? And I think John says in the middle of the battle, I want to give you a, a we know so that you can remember that you are on the winning team. So, again, breaking it down, the first phrase, the Son of God has come and given us an understanding. John says there's something that we know through Jesus Christ that we couldn't know very well any other way. When Jesus came, he did one huge thing to reveal to us something in our understanding, something we're going to know. What is it? Very next phrase, that we, you can shift to the next phrase, there you go, that we may know him who is true. I think what John is saying is this. In the midst of the battle, when you're going, am I on the right side? Did I get this Jesus thing mixed up, this true God thing? Is there, maybe it's Buddhism. Maybe it's Hinduism. Maybe it's agnosticism. Maybe it's a, it's a, it's a we roll the dice. I, I feel like I'm going down. He says, I want you to remember that when Jesus Christ came, he came to show us one main thing, and that is that we would be able to see and know him who is who? The true and only God. And then he says, and of course, didn't Jesus say that? When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And then the last phrase, and the Son of God has come, that we might know that we are in him who is true and in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. He says, by the way, Jesus didn't just come to reveal to us that in the midst of the battle someday, we're going to need to know we on the right side. He's going to say, yes, I came to show you who the true God is. Don't ever doubt that he's the true God. But you know what John says at the end? And this is the true God talking about who? Jesus Christ. <laughs> He says, not only did, I, did Jesus come to show you who the true God is, but in the mystery of this thing called the Trinity, he is the true God, Jesus. If you want a statement of Christ's deity in the New Testament, this is one of the strongest. And this one, Jesus the Christ, is the true God. And when you think you're dying, when you think the enemy's got you, when you think he's got a chokehold on you, when that shrapnel wound from some bad whatever has opened you up and you think you're going to bleed out, don't ever forget that he's the one. You have him. He's your true nature, your new nature. He gives you eternal life. That's what we know.
that's what we know. In fact, I think what he's saying is, and this is what I think we do as intellectuals, especially in the Western world, when the battle wage is hot, I want to go around and say, I'm going to explain a circumstance to you, Drew, and I want you to help me analyze how I can still be a person of faith because this circumstance, and then I'll unpack the circumstance to June because she's very uh, smart. She's got a lawyer mind, and she'll help me unpack it. Any of you ever do that? Let me go find a book that can help me kind of, and there's nothing wrong with any of that, really nothing wrong with it, but John says what you really need to do when you're in the throes of doubt, my life, it, it feels like, I'm not protected. It feels like I'm not winning. It feels like maybe I'm on the wrong team. I think what John is saying is lift up your eyes and get them on Jesus the Christ. And whatever else you do, whatever book you read, whatever seminar you go to, whatever counseling session you're able to and be privileged to be a part of, you get your eyes on Jesus and he will remind you because this is the reason he was sent to remind you that you're on the winning team because he came to show you who the true God really is. I cannot tell you. I, I couldn't come up with any amazing illustration to show this except I would just tell you, and my wife will attest to this. You can ask her. This, verse 20 is my life. I was telling Nadine this morning that for me, just because of the way God has wired me, I not only have my own shrapnel wounds to deal with, I tend, sometimes rather dysfunctionally, I might add, and codependently, to take on all of your shrapnel wounds into my own body. All of your questions become my questions. All of your doubts become my doubts. All of your struggles with faith become mine. I think part of that is the shepherding gift. I think part of it is dysfunctional, humanity. It's just something I wrestle with. And I've got pastor friends I can call, and we kibitz, and we talk, and they pray with me, and I pray with them, and we go back and forth. That's cool. But I will tell you, and I, I wish in the balcony you could look me in the eye to show that this is not pastorese here. If there's anything I've said, none of it's pastorese, but this is less pastorese than anything else that might have slipped in that would have been pastor talk. I'm telling you, the reason why I'm still in the battle today with all of my questions and fears and doubts and how I tend to be codependently enwrapped with yours is that day after day, God gives me the grace to see the person of Jesus Christ. He is the one that keeps me in the game. Not my theological training, not my understanding of theology, not the covenant denomination whom I love, not Grace Community Church, Hope Community Church, uh, Redeemer Community Church, no community church. Unfortunately, not even any one of you, not my wife, not my kids. It is my eyes on Jesus Christ that reminds me of who the true God is. When I get my mind on him, when I get my eyes on him, honestly, I go, I go, but there's all the questions, Lord, and there's all the doubts. And I look at him, and I, I don't have all the questions answered, and I don't have all the doubts dealt with, but when I look at him, he, I, I can't even explain it. I can't even explain it. I have the courage to get back into the battle, being one of those who are of God, sent out to try to help the world know him. I'm telling you, that verse is my life. I commend that to you, that it would be your life. And then finally, John just says, he closes with a command. Little children, keep yourselves from idols, which I have retranslated, paraphrased really. Keep yourself from anything that keeps you from him. Now just think about it for a minute. If, John, if the whole book has been about Jesus Christ and fellowship with him, and he's life, and the very last line of the we knows is, and he is the true God, and to hang out with him, are you catching this? Is in, it's life. It's life. <laughs> he's the true God. He has life. Fellowship with him, it gives us life, the essence of life, the experience of life in the midst of all the bombs and all the mortifier and all the wounds. 
life, Chris. Life, 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 life. So why wouldn't his last line be, anything that takes you off of him? It could even be good stuff if your family becomes more than it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be very important, but only as it relates to him. If your job, good thing to have a job, but if it becomes more than it's supposed to be money, good thing to have resources. If it becomes more than it's supposed to be, then it becomes an idol and it takes us off of him. And all of a sudden, I don't just have a good thing. I have an idol that is the kiss of death. So why wouldn't he say, Little children, man, keep yourself from idols because remember his opening line? I've touched and seen and tasted the one who is life. We've come to offer you that fellowship of life that we already have. Final word, stay with him, you got life. Otherwise you're dead or you'll feel like you're dead. By the way, my wife told me this morning she was reading the newspaper you know what's coming back tonight for some of you series aficionados? The Walking Dead. And I just, I have to say this as we close. Um, I love that show, by the way. I just think there's so much character development and there's, there's even some spiritual lessons there. And if you don't think so, come watch it with me one night and we'll pause and we'll, we'll have a little sermonic time in between. But listen... I think what John's saying is, you want life? Keep your eyes on Christ. And, and I don't want that to sound esoteric. Hang with the body of Christ. Why? Because this is the body of Christ. So when we get with the body of Christ, we're getting with Christ. Talk to him because he listens and he's interceding for us, as Phyllis said. We pray to him. We read his love letter to us. <laughs> This is, these are the ways we walk with Christ. I think he's saying everything else comes under that and feeds up under, into him. And if we keep him in proper perspective, man, we are going to, whatever the enemy brings at us, we will experience real life, palpable life, life that people will even say to us, how are they still? Hey, man, I just got to tell you, it is because of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm just telling you. I heard about one of my friends this week who's just developed bladder cancer and one of my other friends was with her and they're going to have to remove her bladder and she's going to have to live with an ileostomy for the rest of her life. She's 60 years old. And you know what they were telling me? This woman's not happy about it. Who would be happy about that? But this woman is experiencing life because she has her eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. I think what he says is, Keep your eyes there. Or even if you're a believer, on your way home to heaven, the rest of your life here, you'll be like one of the walking dead.